Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Let's ask God to touch us today, everything that we do. It can't be with just our effort only. We need God's help and God's anointing and His guidance and strength. We miss our pastor. Pray for him, brother and sister Boyd, while they're away, that God would just let them accomplish everything that they set out to do. And just all of our efforts, all of our ministries that will take place today, our Sunday school, everything that we do, hallelujah. Let's ask God to bless. Father, we love you, holy God. We love you today. And Father, as we enter in your courts, God, we ask you once again. Father, I know this place is anointed, so we ask you to anoint us, Lord God, to anoint our efforts, Lord God. Everything we do or say, God, we can't do this on our own. But God, I know that with your holy anointed, Lord God, I pray we can do this, Lord God. We can accomplish, Lord God, that that you would see fit. Touch us this day. Strengthen us, Lord God. Put your hand of anointing on us and keep us, Lord God. Got it in your path, I pray. Touch us each and every one. And God, we will thank you for it and praise you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to speak this morning in our pastor's absence on, uh, I just want to look at Luke 15. So if you would just turn with me. Um, or follow on the screen, ever what you want to do. There's some parables that's in the Luke 15. And what I want to do is just, I will tell you, this may be a little bit different than what you have heard before. And um, parables is something that the Lord gave, that there's, there's a truth hidden in the parable that's given. So they're, basically what I'm doing you is just giving you the way I see this. I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but what I'm just giving you is the way that I see it. So um, this is not doctrine or nothing. <laughs> Doctrine's ironclad. You can't change it. And when anybody does change it, you leave them and don't listen to them again. But something like this, I believe it's got different truths that we can apply to to help us, and I believe there's, there's different situations we find ourselves in. That's why I've always said, go to the Bible, open it, and read about yourself because you can't find yourself in any situation that God's going to abandon you. I don't believe that. And so when we get in situations, the Bible is our source of help. God does give us his spirit, and it does strengthen us. So in Luke 15, I just want to read 1 through 3 to sort of just establish what I want to uh, speak on it says then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them verse 3 and he spake this parable unto them 
saying. And that's where I'm going to stop for a moment. Now, the, if the Lord had any contention with any group at his time, it was the Pharisees. I mean, you read all through the Bible is if there was one group that, I mean, I wouldn't use the word hate, but if there was one group that he was at odds against, it was this people, the Pharisees. And he just like, the verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying, I mean, you read that continually. Here is God himself in human flesh, and here is this group that's supposed to be the religious people, and all they do is murmur and complain about God himself that's come in human form. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with you people? Here's God in human flesh, and all you do is gripe. You know, and then God himself literally calls them hypocrites. He calls them all sorts of different titles that he puts to them. So he just don't, he just don't sit there and suffer in silence. He lets them know, I'm sick and tired of your mouth. I'm going to just put a few back to you, as we would say. So, but the Pharisees, they took, they observed the law carefully as far as appearances went, as far as what we would view of them from an outside external appearance. But their heart, the inside of them, that what you couldn't see was far from God. They did this. They often was called hypocrites by their Lord, by the Lord, because literally because their heart did not match what the outside, what they did. And so they did this. So in verse 15, it says, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, in the ancient world, while they all, and this was a continual gripe of them. They said, you know what? He has all the publicans and the sinners. He's not only talking with them, but he is going as far as eating with them. But in the ancient world, when you sat down at a table and you went as far as to break bread with that person, they said you was condoning that person. So they said, oh, my God, here is you claiming to be God, and you're sitting down with this person, so therefore you're condoning the sin. The Pharisees, we're so righteous, we won't even touch that individual. And God says, no, you got so much self-righteousness, you cannot touch that. I'm God and I came for them. And if you won't hear me, I'll go to the people that does need to be hear me. So now I'll not only touch them, I'll eat with them. Because all of this is just an outward appearance to you, everything was external with them. And there was saying, you know, oh, man, you're just taking this time and you're not only just associating with them, but you're going as far as eating with them. Now, they was really, this really bothered them because they said, you know, you're just doing this. You can't do this because when you sit down and eat with this individual to everyone else, they're thinking in their mind, you're condoning that person. Now, they was that self-righteous about it. They was doing this. But this is why they complained. They complained about this. I'm going to jump over now, and I want to read something to you. In Matthew 23, in Matthew 23, 1 through 3, the Bible says, And Jesus spake in this multitude and to his disciples, saying, um, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And listen to verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, listen, that observe and do. 
but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Now, how many times have we heard that? Their actions do not match their mouth. In other words, all they do is they tell you how righteous they are, but their life don't match their walk. Your walk has to match your mouth, in other words. And all they did is they told you how holy they are. All they did, all they went around, went about is telling you how righteous they was. This was the Pharisees. And if God was not pleased with anything, it was the Pharisees. Because all they did is go about telling somebody how holy they was. And the Lord just said, you know what? If I have a beef against anything, it's this. When somebody is always telling you how righteous they are. You, don't, you do not have to. If, if you have spent time with the Lord and, you, and all you're doing is just telling somebody, that's pharisaical. You should not. I should not do that. If you're doing that, I would say you have not spent time with the Lord. Because if you have spent time with the Lord, you do not have to tell nobody. It will show that you have spent time with the Lord. So they're doing this. And that's why that we say that he's telling them, he says, but they say and do not. We have to know what is being preached to us. Literally. The Bible says, know them that labor among you. You have got to know. You have got to know. You have got to know that what is being preached to you is the truth. Because literally, I have, I have literally been told, literally been told by people before, well, my pastor said this was all right. My pastor said you can do this. And I'm not trying to plant a false seed. I'm not trying to put anything bad in your mind. But I'm saying your pastor in eternity, your pastor's not going to judge you. God is going to judge you. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have confidence in the man of God. But I'm telling you, when it comes time for you to be judged, God is going to judge you. He's going to hold you responsible when you stand before him. Now, if the man of God stands before you and preach something to you that is wrong, that is detrimental to your soul, he will stand before God for that. But you are accountable. Hear me. You are accountable for it. You better make sure that what you're being told is the gospel, is the truth, because you are accountable for your soul. You are accountable for your soul. Literally, in Matthew, just a, a few pages in Matthew 24, that is why God, when the disciples come to us, come to Jesus and said, tell us when all this is fixing to, fixing to break out and happen. And literally, at a time of this seriousness, God tells them, take heed that no man deceive you. Don't let no man deceive you. In other words, get this book. Know it for yourself. Don't just somebody tell you you're saved. Know you're saved. You can know you're saved for yourself. Nobody will have to look at you and say, you're okay. Spend time alone with God. You can know you have the truth. You can know you have God's spirit. You have to do this. In 2 Samuel, this is uh, a perfect example of this. It's when David was bringing back the ark. We can look, and, and for just a, a story, we can look at this. as is where David is bringing back the ark. And on, just in human reason, I'll look at it like this. David is bringing back the ark. This is an Old, Old Testament story. David is bringing the ark. He put it on a new cart. He's bringing it home. 
the oxen stumble, uses there, he puts his hand there. The, what they was bringing home was literally, listen to me, the most precious object they had, the Ark of the Covenant, where the God dwelt between the cherubims. Yuza put his hand. Now, I'm telling you, if Kenneth was there, I would have done the same thing. Now, this is the most precious thing they had. I would have put my faith in David. He's doing this. He's bringing it back. The oxen stumble. This is the ark. I cannot let it hit the ground. The oxen stumble. Put your hand there. Okay, God struck him dead. Face value, you think, man, <laughs> that's a little cold. But think about this. Okay, here's David. God himself says, I'm telling you, there's David, there's rings on that ark for a purpose. It's to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. Number one, you've broke this sacred rule. Number two, you do not touch it. Just because you broke number one don't mean I'm violating number two. So that's why I said when it comes to church, just because people come in and, and a pastor or somebody else tells them that you're okay and you're not okay, do you think God's going to violate his word? He's not going to do it. He is not going to do it. We have to abide by his word. I don't care. I don't care what the church says, what the church says or who it is. If they are telling you something that do not align with this word, you better not believe it. You better believe this word. Every day, seven days a week. Because this is what God will judge you out of. So we have to know this. Because I'm telling you, it was, I'm telling you, it would be pure human instinct to put your hands up to steady the ark. You would be thinking you would be doing God a favor. But God struck you a dead right then. He judged him and struck him dead. So I've always said, a good intention, kill that man. So bring it up to our time. You cannot think, well, mama did this, daddy did this. Well, the preacher's telling me I'm okay. But what does God's word say about it? Does God's word say you're okay? If God's word says you're not okay, then I'm not trying to be cruel. All I'm saying is you're speaking on eternal terms here. We live in the temporal, but we better get our mind out of the temporal and get it on the eternal. Because if this book says I'm wrong, then this book better be what I go with. So when he did this, this is God's inspired revelation, and it is what is going literally to be what judges us. So Jesus came down, I've been told, literally, physically, to my face. Jesus paid the price, therefore I don't have to do nothing. And I've asked, where does that come from? Where do you find that in the Bible? I don't see that. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to make it so hard that people can't live it. I, I, I mean, I'm not literally that way. I'm, I've, I've said before, you, you can't make it so hard people can't live it, and you can't make it so easy, you know, that it's just, you just turn grace into disgrace. I've always said I agree with Brother Board 100%. You've got to find the balance, and I don't believe the balance is that hard to find. In other words, you can't just, you know, like the, the people do is just, Whip yourself with chains and whips just to say you're being close to God. I don't believe that for a minute. But God himself, I love it in the, 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 the Bible revelation where, where God himself says the, what he gave himself or created himself, his body with, the spirit of revelation, we know it as the Holy Ghost. 
He says, that is what I'm going to give you. And the sole purpose, the reason he gave us the Holy Ghost is for literally to give us victory over the enemy we fight, over the flesh we live in, and over the world we live in too. So really and truly, that is why that God put all this into place. It is not just, not just, so we can accept the Lord as our personal Savior and do everything that we want to. The Bible just really does not say that. It does say we're in a war, and the war is literally for our soul, literally for our soul. And people get pharisaical about it. I mean, some, you got the pendulum swings all the way to the Pharisees. I am so righteous. I'm so holy. And, but it's all an outward appearance. It's everything is outward. Everything is so holy. But when you say, well, how much time does, do, have you spent with God? Well, I'm so holy, I don't need to spend no time with God. You know, you know everything is just an external. I mean, if, boy, I'm telling you, God, God really had a problem with that. Really had a problem with that. Really had a problem with that. He called them hypocrites. And the way I look at it, there's one scripture in the Bible that I always go to. My mind, and if you ever meet someone, and all they do is tell you how righteous and holy they are. Don't fault me for this, but I always go to one place. And, and I mean, I like it everything to the Bible. I'm telling you, I do. I mean, I have a, you can talk about whatever you want, and I take you to somewhere in the Bible to it. But, uh. Where people are so righteous, they tell me, if someone's telling you how righteous they are, I go to Moses when he spent time on the mountain. And the Bible says when he come off the mountain, his face shone. My version of that is when Moses come down, the people told Moses his face was shining. Moses didn't come down and say, yeah, me and the big man's had a little one-on-one in case y'all wondered why my face is shining, we've had a little one-on-one. No. The people. Moses didn't say a word. The people told Moses his face was shining. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If, somebody is, that's, if that's all you can hear is how righteous and holy they are, just get away from them. Leave them alone. I mean, leave them alone. That's just me. I mean, you, your opinion's yours. That's mine. But that's what I always go to. Moses come down, his face was shining, and they knew it. I'm going back to Matthew 23. In, in chapter, twi- chapter 23, I'm going to jump to uh, 13. Matthew 23 and 13. 23 and 13, the Bible says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. And I'll read one more, 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. And I'm telling you, I don't know how much more crude the Lord could have put it. The Lord said, you're already damned to hell if you don't forgive me for saying it like that. 
And when you do this, you make him twofold. Now, I'm telling you, that's bad. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how much more crude God could have put it to him. You've took this to the extreme so far that your self-righteousness has pushed you so far that when you do this, when you just put this on someone, this is the result of it. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 17, Matthew 5 and 17, the Lord said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's why God said, I'm not come just to destroy all of this. That's why I'm saying people said Jesus come paid the price and we don't do nothing. God said, I'm not come to destroy this. I am the fulfillment of all of this. And verse 20 says, now this is a verse that I used to wonder about. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees, they kept many rules. They prayed, fasted, praised, read God's word, attended worship. But what they did, they substituted this outward appearance for just this inner attitude that they had. But the Lord said that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, do I think that he was saying that the, <clears throat> the Pharisees was what we would consider righteous? No, I do not. I believe the scribes was what he was referring to. The righteousness he was talking about was the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And unless your righteousness don't get past the self-righteousness of them, you're not going nowhere. Because he says that your righteousness has got to exceed that. In other words, when it gets to you that it's all about this outside, get this outside right and leave this inside alone, you're not going nowhere. That's me. You don't have to accept it. That's me. But I believe that's what God was saying. When it gets all about the outside and you find yourself moving, moving far and far and more, my sleeves just ain't long enough. Let me put them a little bit far. And I'm not knocking sleeves, but, you, but hear my point. When it gets all about the outside and nothing about the inside, you've went too far. You've went too far. This is about the outside and the inside. And God said, if that righteousness can't get no further than that, you ain't going into my kingdom because my kingdom takes a spirit inside that's going to manifest itself outside too, yes. But he said that's what it was doing. Now, I'm going to go back to where I was. I know I went a long way around it, but I, I wanted to establish what I really feel that God felt of the Pharisees. Now, I'm going back where I was, Luke 15. Now, he took, he did this parable. 15 is three parables. I just want to hit two of them. The first one is the lost sheep. But it's just really all a parable is. Basically, it's just a short story just to communicate a spiritual truth. 
we, we would say. In Luke 15, I'll read 4 through 7. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7. For I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, The main emphasis on this is that which is lost. This is the Lord going after. That's why I put my title that says you are the one. That which is lost. Now, to me this parable, over the years I've read this and I've just, I've thought about it over the years. And it says in verse 4, he talks about him leaving the 99 in the wilderness and then he talks about he went to seek and save that which was lost until he found it. And I don't believe this parable is about the 99. I believe it's literally about the one. And in a nutshell, what I believe this parable is about and why I went all around this to establish that verse 1 through 3 lets us know basically the crowd that was listening to this. But I believe what it was about, this is me, but I believe he was speaking to 99 Pharisees and one sinner. And he takes and he says, that's why I believe in verse 4 he says that I'll leave the 99 in the wilderness. And that one that's seeking repentance, I'm going after him that I will leave that 99 in the wilderness. In Luke, I want to skip. In Luke, turn back with me a few chapters to Luke 5. I want to read something to you. Luke 5. No, um, yes, Luke 5 and verse uh, 30. Luke 5 and 30. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here, I believe, here again is the self-righteous Pharisees not even really being able in this, the call of Levi, not even being able to even see that they was sick. God said, I come to seek and save that which was lost. And they that are whole, you self-righteous Pharisees say that you're whole. And you're saying you don't even need a physician. So God said, I didn't come for you. You're saying you're not even sick. But what I came to... I didn't come to call the righteous what you think you are, but I came to call sinners to repentance. That's what I came for, the Lord was saying. So when he took 
And the Lord said in verse 7 of 15, I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, moreover the ninety-nine just persons which needs no repentance. I believe that's why that's worded that way. That's why the joy in heaven is why when you take one individual that truly seeks repentance, that's why there's joy in heaven. And I believe that's why that the Lord says, oh, more than 99 just persons which need no repentance. I believe that's a reference back to the Pharisees. You think you're so holy that you don't need no repentance? Heaven ain't going to make a sound for you. But you give me one individual, and I'll chase him every day. And when I find him, heaven's going to make a racket. But the 99 that is so self-righteous, heaven ain't going to make a sound. So let the 99 self-righteous bunch, heaven's going to be silent. That's me, like I'm saying. That's my theory. That's my theory on that. Now, in Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read something else to you. Matthew, the ninth chapter. In Matthew 9, I want to read Matthew 9, and let's look at uh, verse 11. Matthew 9 and 11. He says, And the Pharisees saw it. They said unto his disciples, his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But Jesus heard that. When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But listen what he says in 13. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what that was a quote from when he says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, is from Hosea 6 6. It says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God was saying through Hosea, What I desire of my people is mercy. That's what I want. I want mercy. For God had already established through the prophet. Did you know in the Old Testament, if you gave a sacrifice and you didn't offer it with mercy, God would not accept it. God knows the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So if you offered your sacrifice and you didn't offer it with mercy, it wasn't accepted. So God is saying what I desire is mercy and that. That's what I want. I desire mercy and sacrifice he was he was saying and not sacrifice and the knowledge of god more than burnt offerings other words don't just say you know me know me know me that's what he wanted know me so he says it like like that and and in luke the second parable um it's a parable of the lost coin and i'm gonna jump to the third parable um I debated on what to do with this. Man, I just love to read the whole thing. I know it's a long. Um, I'll just do it. I'll just have to bear with me. I, 
There's, I hate to do parts of it. Um, I'll just try to be as quick as I can. A certain man had two sons. It's uh, 15 and 11. And the younger said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divideth unto him his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into the far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous, righteous living, righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would faint had filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great afar off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said unto him, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, and put the ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this is my son was dead. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And the elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to his house, and to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, and because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering and said unto him, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should be merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, this is a another parable and it's most of the time you read that it's labeled just pardon me for reading the whole thing but I just I just hated to do it in parts but uh, most of the time it's labeled the parable of the lost son but I say it should be labeled the parable of the lost sons and that's the way I look at it I don't think there was one lost son I think there was two lost sons and I'll and in the end I'll tell you why I believe that but um so he takes the Lord. He said the man had two sons. He starts off in verse 13. He's, the younger son goes to his dad in the parable. And he wants all his money. He says, give me everything I got coming to me. I want it all right now. He said that the Bible says that he took, he wasted his substance. In other words, he, he wasted it. The way I would look at that. He didn't have nothing left. How many times have our children, we ask, what have you got 
you know, you had X number of dollars. What do you have to show for it? Well, I don't have nothing. So that's the way, in this parable, that's the way the son was. But the older son, the one I'm going to call the Pharisee, his eyes from the very beginning was saying, you know what? He's wasted his. Therefore, I believe in his heart he was thinking, he's spent everything he has, therefore he has nothing to come home to. So I'm done with him. In other words, what dad gave him was his inheritance. He went and spent it. So I don't have to worry about him coming back. He has nothing to come home to. It's done. See, now all he's looking at, all the elder son is looking at was from the external money, substance, everything. That's why the Lord in the parable, I believe, said wasted his substance in this way. So he took, he did this. And then verse, he took, he did this, and when he is found to be in want, in other words, he's feeding swine. I mean, how humiliating that must have been for a Jewish person. That's, I mean, that had to be the bottom of the barrel, literally. If you are a Jewish individual that wouldn't even eat a swine and you're feeding the stinking things, I mean, how low could you go? I mean, to me, I mean, that's why I believe it's used. The Lord was trying to make an example. Is this man, as we would say, was on the bottom looking up? No other way to look at it. He was literally at the bottom, and he's doing this. And in verse, verse 17... And the Bible says, and when he came to himself, I believe what we could draw from that is, I know this is about a father and his sons, but I'll label it like this. This is parents that never forgot their son. I do not believe for an instant this is a son that came to himself on his own. In verse 17 when it says, and when he came to himself, I believe we can draw from that. This is parents that constantly prayed for their children. Just because he took took his so much dollars and left and took everything he owned, that's not what concerns me. His soul is what concerns me. So therefore, I'm going to pray, I'm going to seek God, and one of these days, I don't know when, but one of these days, the light bulb's going to go off in his head and he's going to come to himself. And the Bible tells us in verse 17 that he came to himself. And I look at that as just the father, and we see that further on in this parable, that the father never giving up. He literally never gave up. He never forgot about his son. Because he says, I will arise and go to my father. And in verse 20, we see the, the attitude of the father when he was yet a great way, great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The song that Brother Chris sings, this is where it's taken from, and God ran, literally in the parable. That's why it's, um, it's talking about it's not just a father that's just saying, see you when you come home. It's a father that's standing out there day after day looking with an expectation Today could be the day that my son is coming home. And I'm not going to be somewhere else when he does come home. I'm going to be standing here 
believing God to bring him back. So therefore, his actions matched what his heart felt. So therefore, he was standing there, and the father saw him a great way off, and he literally fell on him and kissed, ran towards him. The parable says, ran toward him, fell on him and kissed him, embraced him, as we would say. He did that. Verse 24 looks at it and says, For this my son was dead, he's alive, he's lost, and he's found. They began to be merry. 27 says, Thy brother has come, has killed the fatted calf, and received him in safe and sound. Now we start with the attitude of the, the brother. And then he says, And he was angry and would not go in. Now this is the older brother. When they tell him, now, this proves the attitude of the older brother. Your brother's left. He's concerned because he's took all his money and he's come back with nothing. And his brother's still standing there thinking, there's no reason for you to come back. You didn't have nothing to come home to. And they're telling him, look, your brother has come home safe and sound. But that don't concern me. He has no investment here. He's done. He took his investment and left. He's done. I'm not worried about him, his flesh being safe and sound. He is done. And he got so mad, he wouldn't even, this is his own house, he wouldn't even go in. So here's the father. Go get the older son, bring him in. He's outside. He won't even come in the house. And his father said, look, I'll go out to him and try to patch this up. So his father goes out and tried to entreat him and said, Look, you're looking at this all wrong. All you're looking at is from a monetary value. Your brother is home, safe and sound. But that's all that matters. He has nothing to come home to. And he still, he just, he just wouldn't let it go. Therefore, his father come out and entreated him. And the son just would not let it go. And then he literally, then what's inside of him starts to come out. Verse 29, and he answering and said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I thee at any time, or any time thy transgressed I at any time thy commandment, Yet y'all never gave me a kid that I make me, might make merry with my friends. In other words, what does he do right from the very beginning? He starts telling his father how righteous he is. In other words, I've been here the whole time. I've never transgressed. And look, he says, look at verse 29 when he says, you didn't even never give me a kid. In other words, he's telling his father like this. This joker spent everything he had, wasting it in a way that I wouldn't dream of. I've been righteous and holy, and you wouldn't even give me a goat, but yet you kill for him the fatted calf. Where's the balance in that, Dad? And he's trying to say, you're looking at it wrong. And the, the son is saying, no, I'm not. I'm right. I'm righteous He's unrighteous. And the dad says, no, you are wrong. You are looking at this wrong. And the son is just saying no. And then he says in verse 30, but soon as thy son was come, which has devoured his living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the, the, the elder son is just saying, no, 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 no. This ain't happening. This ain't happening. 
This is my house. This is my house. He done took everything and left, spent it, wasted it with harlots. It's over. It's over. And the dad says, you've got it all wrong. You are mixed up. And this, uh, the elder son keeps telling, look, I've been righteous. I've never broke a commandment. I have stayed true to you. I've did everything. And you wouldn't even give me a goat that I could make merry with my friends. It's just not right, Dad. This guy comes back, and the first thing you do is throw him a party. But see, he's pharisaical about it. All he's doing is looking at everything from the external, from the outside point of view. He never gets to the inside. Everything is just from out here. Everything. He never looks at the value of his own brother's soul. His eyes never even pierced his clothing. He couldn't even get past the clothes of his own brother. All he, all he could do is just say, no, you wouldn't even give me a goat and you kill for him the fatted calf. Verse 31, and he said unto him, son, son, thou art ever with me and all I have is thine. Here again, the father's trying to do everything he can to convince his son, okay, you want to speak external? I'll get on your level. For a second, I'll get on your level. You're making this about one calf. Look around, son. These other thousands are all yours. You're making this about one calf. Look around. All of these is yours. And you're making it about one. Verse 32. It was meat. It was right. That we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead. And is alive again. And was lost. And is found. All he was doing. All he was doing was just complaining, the brother. He just complained. In a nutshell, that's why I said, I believe this is a tale about the two lost sons. In a, in a nutshell, this is a way I would end this story. To the brother, to the older brother. The younger brother, listen to me. If the older brother was standing there, the younger brother, in the older brother's eyes, the younger brother came home with nothing. Literally, that's the way he saw it. You left with your inheritance. You wasted it. You came home with nothing. But to the father, my son has come home with everything. The son looked everything from an external point of view. But the father, you never looked at his soul, not one time. All you could see, all you could see, son, was just one calf. But to the father, the spirit that he houses, I believe the father would stand there and tell him, look, 
You stand here and gripe about the cost of a beef all you want. But I'll run to a soul seven days a week. You stand here and gripe and complain and moan and groan. But the soul that cries out to me, I'm going to run to him. And not only that, heaven's going to make some noise when I meet him. Because it is all about what's on the inside. And all he done, all he could do, all he could do. That's why I said in this parable that the Lord gave him. They're just standing there. And he kept saying, I believe the older son in this parable would just keep saying, you came home with nothing. You came home with nothing. And I believe the father would keep telling the son, you're missing it. You're missing the point. And the dad, the father would say, my son has come home with everything. 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 If he has come home with his spirit, he has came home with everything. Hallelujah. That's the way I look at it. God bless you. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.